Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pittsburgh Steeler fans, it is time once again for the show we call, here we go, the Steelers pregame show. Hi, my name is Brian Anthony Davis from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. With me, as always, is my sidekick, actually, my co-host for the show, the guy that really knows all the X's and O's about the Pittsburgh Steelers. His name is Kevin Smith. KT, what is going on? We are so glad to have you once again, my friend. Brian, thank you, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everybody who's listening. I don't think anybody was sad to see 2020 go. No, no, I'm just worried that uh, now that 2020 has turned 21, what happens when she starts drinking? That's a great question. 21, <laughs> yeah, it's a risky year. No we, are go- we are definitely going to be optimistic, though, and I'm, I'm feeling a sea change already. Like the Pittsburgh Steelers, Kevin, found themselves amongst a sea change of their own when they hit the second half of the, their game against Indianapolis. And we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the game coming up real, real soon. The game against the Cleveland Browns. It's going to be a different game than what we saw in week six, Kevin. And I'm really excited to talk about that, but you did mention 2021. I hope you had a wonderful holiday season. I hope you had a great new year with your friends and family, and I'm wishing you the best coming up in 21, my friend. Yes, sir. And same to everybody out there. And uh, I know, I know uh, we just completed a, a really trying year and, you know, whether you're a Steelers fan or whomever, right. Whoever might be listening. I just feel like uh, that every, every generation seems to, to face these, these years or these periods where they really have to sacrifice and they really have to do things 
that are uncomfortable and you know we're no exception uh, I, I think about my my relatives we were, we were we were talking about all of our christmas memories when we did those podcasts over the christmas season and i i was talking about my own family and i was thinking about my grandparents who you know were born and lived through the depression and world war ii and the vietnam era and all those things and you just think about the sacrifices that people often have to make in order to you know just kind of kind of keep this all together so I'm hoping that uh, we've been through the worst of of the one that we're going to have to make and that 2021 will, will kind of be a, a rebirth of, of just a, about everything in our society. Absolutely. And everything that we have gone through, not just with COVID, but as a country, I just want to, uh, I, I hope everybody uh, takes this in and uh, looks around and says, hey, we are all in this together. And it's, uh, it's one of those things that, that I'm hoping 2021 brings. And let's, uh, let's get lost in the Steelers, too, uh, when, when we have those down moments. It's, it was really nice this year to be able to get lost for three, three and a half hours on a Sunday or an hour during a podcast or when you and I write to get lost in uh, that football world and know that uh, we can escape everything that we need to escape. As football fans, as fans, whether even if you're not a football fan, if you love movies or if you love literature or spending time with your families or board games, which I've played so many board games during not just the holiday season, but during COVID with my family. And it's been wonderful. So if you get a chance to get lost in something that you enjoy, that's that's great to get that little escape. And that's what the Pittsburgh Steelers provide both of us, Kevin. So I'm getting ready to get lost again not just against Cleveland but in the first round of the playoffs and hopefully so much more coming up all the way through the middle of February yeah we've got some uh very exciting things ahead of us no doubt about that with the Steelers starting with the with Sunday against the Browns I'm really really interested in uh in in what's you know how the Steelers are going to call that game with Mason Rudolph so I'm looking forward to talking about that well Let's just hope that uh, Randy loses his car keys um, and can't make it <laughs> to the airport to go to Cleveland. Um, but I'm anxious to see how they're going to do it as well. Um, it's really interesting. And you bring up Mason Rudolph. And that's something that I want to talk about here, too, is it's been interesting to see how Ben has had a little sea change of his own when it comes to Mason Rudolph. And it seems like he is very much in Mason Rudolph's corner right now. And that didn't seem to be the same when we talked about the beginning of his career in Pittsburgh. And even last year, uh, there weren't any shows, signs of support. And now he's, uh, he's showing that he is definitely a part of the team with Mason Rudolph. And he talked about how on the sidelines their interactions and Mason coming to him and, and um, sharing ideas with him and, and they're bouncing things off of each other. So that'll be great to see too. And Mason definitely needs to have been in his quarter this weekend as well. Yeah. I, you know, I try to think about it from the perspective of, of uh, NFL players as this being their profession and their career. And if you or I, if the company we, we worked for brought somebody in, uh, you know, with the with the idea of replacing us one day, and then asked us to help train them. I mean, how would how would we handle it? You know, like I, I just wonder about that. It's really you you you. We expect the veteran QB 
to be the great teammate and the mentor and, and all of those things. But at the same time, if you're the veteran QB, like Ben Roethlisberger saw the Steelers take Josh Dobbs in the fourth round. And then the very next year, take Mason Rudolph in the third round at a time where he was probably thinking, I could use another alignment, you know, I could use another wide receiver, but instead, why are we, why are we investing high draft picks? So those are not throwaway draft picks. Why are we investing high draft picks in guys who, who may be here to replace me? Um, Maybe, maybe Rudolph's performance when Ben was out in 2019 (laughs) assured Roethlisberger that his job was going to be safe. You know, I, I don't know if that that's, true or not but I, I just wonder if you know why why has he seen why does he seem to have had a change towards Rudolph does he not feel threatened anymore did he feel threatened initially I, I, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes but I just think that sometimes we're really hard on these guys that you know how, how Brett Favre was went towards Aaron Rodgers or or whomever the veteran might be we're a little bit hard on them we expect them to be incredibly chivalrous towards these these guys that are really there to take their jobs and I, did, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not saying you should. You shouldn't be a good mentor. I just wonder how we. How if we're in that same situation, how we would handle it. Absolutely, and that's one of those things we forget. Another thing that I think we forget, Kevin, is the fact that to reach this level, it is an amazing thing. And I start to shudder, and I'm sure that this probably bothers you as well. And you and I have never talked about this. This is the first time I'm ever bringing it up to you. But I hate when anybody calls any NFL player a bum because you have done a lot of amazing things to get to that level, to either be drafted or to make a team as an undrafted free agent or um, off of the waiver wire where you struggled somewhere else. There is no such thing as bum in my cat in my vocabulary when it comes to an NFL player. And we've got to think about that too. And it always bothers me when, uh, when you have these players that uh, that are working their tail off and we don't know what's going on in their worlds. And as fans, we are on top of them. And right now it's funny. It's I'm actually pleased to see this, Kevin. We've got a guy on the injured list that now people are looking at that he's on the injured list. They're like, oh no, we need him. And it's so nice to see that people are finally starting to show some respect for Terrell Edmonds. Yeah. I mean, think about what you were just saying um, about about. So there's, so there's over a million kids playing high school football in the United States. And of that of that million or so kids, less than six percent of them, right around six percent of them go on to play in college. Only about two percent wind up college scholarship players. And then of that two percent or, or of that initial number. Uh, less than half of 1% will ever make it to the NFL. So you're, you're really talking about the absolute elite of the elite. And it's really hard to remember that in the moment when you're like, you know, in the passion of rooting for a game and your your quarterback throws a terrible interception and you're like, this guy's a bum. I mean, that's, you know, that's something that, that happens. But if we can step back for a second and think about, right, who are we talking about here? We're talking about the absolute best in the world at what they do. And so Terrell Edmonds, for example, I mean, he's gotten better every year he's been in the league. So now this is his third year and, and he has just improved each year and he is on, he's not going to be a hall of fame player. And maybe, maybe as a first round draft pick, we expect these guys to be hall of fame players. Um, But 
but if he stays on the arc that he's on uh, in another year or two, he's going to be a really good safety. And he's already, I think, a solid safety. Um, so, you know, I just, again, man, what are our expectations for pe- for, for uh, players? Are we, are we going to weigh every safety that comes to Pittsburgh against Troy Palomalo, who, by the way, really struggled his first year and a half, you know, it was, it was late in the second year before things started to click. He was considered so, a bust, Kevin. Yeah, man. His first I mean, year. I, I know. I remember I remember that very well. So you're right. You bring up a good point. I, uh, Edmonds, I think I think he's the kind of guy that the longer he's here, the more people will appreciate him because he's going to get better and better. And I feel like he's getting some appreciation now that uh, we see him on that injured list. Um, he popped on on Friday, and it's really interesting to see. Some people are like, oh, no, I mean, we need that guy. And I'm glad to see that because we do. Now, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I don't want to be uh, – I want to be really transparent. I was uh, thinking at the beginning of the season that he still wasn't cutting it. Then I kept watching him, and I was like, wow, this guy's playing his heart out, and he is really – he changed my way of thinking by probably about week three or four when I was starting to jump on the Edmonds bandwagon. And it took me a while to jump on. And one of the things with with Edmonds is we kind of expected him to be, and you mentioned this, as a number one pick, we expected him to be all world. If that guy was picked in the third round, he would be one of your favorite stealers. When I say your, whoever's listening to this, you would love him as a third round pick. You're just not loving him as a first round pick. Because you, because of all the other people that went around him. I mean, they could have gotten, if I'm not mistaken, they could have gotten Jesse Bates, who uh, we think is absolutely fantastic um, with that same pick. I mean, but he wasn't projected. And, and that's a guy that uh, ended up going to Cincinnati in, I believe, the second round or maybe early in the third. I'm not sure. I believe it was the second. But they're just players like that, that do you believe that if he was a third round pick or even a second round pick, he'd probably be looked upon better in the eyes of fans? Yeah, absolutely. I think people really lock on that first round status. There's, there's a term that gets kicked around during, during the draft season that I struggle with. And the term is value. People always talk about value. Oh, they, the Steelers didn't get good value for that pick. And they talk about that a lot with like high, high picks, you know, oh, you could have gotten better value at that spot. But to me, if a guy becomes a solid starter, you've got good value. I mean, you know, if you can land two or three starters out of a draft class, you've done really well. And, uh, you know, where, where you land them, I don't know if that really matters. You know, like if they're good football players for you, then, you know, it, then that's a successful draft pick. So I think there's this, expectation that whoever you take in the first round needs to be a starter and not just a starter, but needs to be an impact player, maybe a pro bowl or something like that. That's just not realistic. The numbers don't hold that up. And because the Steelers tend to draft well and tend to do a good job uh, finding guys to fit specific roles, then I think the bar for those first rounders is really high. Well, let's talk about some of these players and we're going to do some things different this week because we usually go through the stat rankings and that's not going to come into play this week because these teams aren't going to resemble really what they would look at, what you would see as far as looking at their uh, 
offensive ranks and their defensive ranks, especially the Steelers, um, was sitting a few guys. We just talked about Edmonds not being in there. We talked about Roethlisberger not being in there. It looks like there's, it's not official, but it looks like there's not going to be a Pouncey, a Watt, or um, somebody like uh, Cam Hayward as well. So the Steelers are going to look completely different, but I do caution you and all of you that this is might be a meaningless game, but it's still a meaningful game for the players and meaningful for the franchise going forward. And we're going to talk about that when we come back. We're going to talk about the impact of the second half of the Indianapolis game. And we're going to talk about the Steelers going forward. And we're going to talk about Mason Rudolph and what we should expect from him. But we're going to take a break here. So stick around. We'll be right back on Steelers pregame show. Here we go. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome back to Here We Go, the Pittsburgh Steelers pregame show from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. Along with me is Kevin Smith, KT, a fantastic coach. And uh, the guy who teaches me X's and O's every single week on this podcast. I, I got to tell you, Kevin, and I haven't thanked you for this all year, but I watch the game differently now that I get a chance to talk to you right before game time because you make me look for some things that I would have never looked for before because, like we say, you're the X's and O's guy, and I'm more of the excitement and oh no guy. So that's uh, that's why we make a good team here. So I'm really I'm really appreciative of having you here each and every week. Oh well, it's a pleasure to just be able to talk about this stuff. I mean, I've been uh, rooting for the Steelers for 40 years and never had an opportunity to to really share my love of them with with uh, people like you and with the platform that that we have here. So it's an absolute pleasure to do it. Yeah, because I'm an eye test guy. I just look at what uh, pleases my senses of what I think I know. And that's it. And I'm more of the history of the team. I'm more of uh, the dynamic of the team and things like that. But I get lost a little bit with the X's and O's and I feel like I get better each and every week. So once again, I thank you for that. So let's go ahead and take a look at this week's game. But we can't look at this week's game without flashing back to the second half of last week. So, Kevin, they came out against Indianapolis, and they looked putrid. They were absolutely awful. I had one of our uh, listeners, he was texting me during the uh, game, and I actually said to him, I'm like, man, I, if I didn't have to watch this because I'm doing a show and I need to talk about it, I would turn something else on right now because it's that bad. And I was getting really frustrated because it seemed like everything that we were hoping for would happen was never going to happen. Then something funny happened in the second half. And I'm going to ask you about that in a moment. But they came back out. And as soon as they got a hold of the ball, 
they started moving it. Something happened where they didn't get in the end zone right away. They went for it on fourth and one. They didn't make it. But right after that, I kind of had this feeling that if they could do something right here, they're going to pull this game out. And it's funny. Immediately after they had the Colts punt the ball, they scored a touchdown, a 34-yard throw to Deontay Johnson from Ben Roethlisberger, and it looked like a different team. What happened in the first half, Kevin? And why did they look like a different team in the second half? So, I mean, for the, everybody listening out here, the the writers on on behind the steel curtain, we all have a we all communicate with one another through a through through an app called Slack that that has been uh, that Jeff set up for us and. And on game day, you know, there's a op- big open thread on behind the steel curtain, and and uh, we sometimes have our, our own little sort of mini open thread amongst the, the writers where we're kind of talking to one another about what's going on with the game. And right after the Steelers' first series, I, I texted uh, I texted all the other writers on Slack, and I was like, oh, no, it's the same offense. I mean, they came out on the first series, and they threw three quick, short, incomplete passes – and I just thought to myself, this is going to be a devastating game to watch because if that's going to be the plan, then, you know, there's going to be problems because obviously opposing defenses had figured out how to take that away. And that's pretty much how the first half went. But, you know, at halftime, they must have made a decision to, to push the ball down the field more because they came out on their first drive in the third quarter and they hit Chase Claypool on a, on a skinny post that went for 30 some yards, maybe, maybe a little bit more than that, actually. And that was a huge moment in the game because they, you're right. They didn't get in on that drive. They got stopped on fourth and goal, but when they got the ball back on the very, very first snap, they went, you know, same, similar look to uh, Deontay Johnson kind of a little bit of a, a little bit of a double move on the outside and uh, Roethlisberger hit him down the field. So I think, I think a couple things happened. One, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to give the Colts too much credit, but you know, their safety Kari Willis in the first half, number 37 had a a huge half. They were using him really aggressively. They were dropping him into the box. They were playing an awful lot of that drop coverage where they'd line up in cover two. And then at the snap, he would come down aggressively to disrupt all the short stuff in the, in the crossing uh, lanes. And, and, and they brought him that, you know, the one sack they had, it was Willis coming on a safety stunt off the edge and they were applying pressure and clogging up the intermediate throwing lanes. And Willis on that first series of the second half went out with a concussion and he never came back. And I think that really affected Indy's uh, defensive play calling because they played a ton of cover two after that and they didn't really get after Roethlisberger. So as soon as the Steelers felt comfortable with him in the pocket, uh, you know, and again, and again, Roethlisberger called a lot of the plays in the second half. So as soon as he felt comfortable in the pl- in the pocket, he started to push the ball down the field. And once we started to push the ball down the field, that made all the difference in the world because then it then they uh, the Colts couldn't you know clog the the short and intermediate passing lanes like they'd been doing. It opened everything up, and you know, out of the blue, man, all of a sudden we, we scored three touchdowns uh, in on, in three drives and, and looked like the offense we'd been from September to November. So I think the big takeaway from the Colts game is this. If the Steelers can protect Roethlisberger and he can push the ball effectively down the field, it will back defenses off and open everything else up. And so that's going to be the key going forward into the playoffs. 
Well, that's very true. And it seemed like Ben Roethlisberger, and he said that he was calling his own plays. His uh, wide receivers have backed him up on this. It seems like he, it was almost like the movie Varsity Blues where they, uh, they made uh, John Lithgow, not John Lithgow, I'm sorry. Um, gosh, I lost his name all of a sudden. And it's, uh, it's going to kill me here that, that I can't tell you his name. John Voigt, there it is. They, they made John Voigt stay, basically uh, stay in the locker room while they took over the team. And they, they coached the way they wanted to coach. And it feels like Ben Roethlisberger did that with Randy saying, look, all right, uh, you're done right now. I'm, I, I'm taking the reins. Was it the fact that Ben was not playing well? Or was it the fact that the scheme was not fitting what the Steelers needed to do and it was so predictable? I mean, first of all, I would love to see John Lithgow cast as a football coach. That would be phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. John Lithgow's you know? great. But... He is great. Like third rock from the sun, John Lithgow as a football coach. Like mad scientist, John Lithgow. You know? um, I don't know. You know, I don't know the answer to your question. I, I just, I, I, we, I think we all read some stuff this week about how, you know, there were some questions as to whether or not Roethlisberger did sort of hijack the scheme um you know the play calling i should say i just you know i i don't know who called the the, the first couple of series i don't know if I, i'm assuming it was fickner um but it just was discouraging because it was the same offense that we've been watching for the the past month with the same results uh, i i saw i there was one one clip that the that they showed on tv a camera shot of fickner on the sideline staring at his play sheet while the Steelers had the ball, that really discouraged me because just, just from my own experience, and again, I'm not trying to compare high school football to pro football, but from my own experience, when you're staring intently at the play sheet while you have the football, very, very often that means you don't know what the heck to call. You're searching for an answer. You're searching for something to suddenly appear on there to spark an idea because usually when you're, when you're calling plays while you have the ball, you know what you want to call. You've been looking at that sheet while you're on defense and you've been talking to your guy up, up in the booth and you've been talking to your quarterback and your lineman and, you, and you're getting a, a good feel for what the defense is doing and, and you know, all right, when we go back out there on first down, we're doing this. And if it's successful, then we're coming back with this. And if they, if they stop it, here's our counter move. And you got a pretty good read on what you're doing. But the last thing you want to be doing is searching for plays while you have the ball. You got about maybe eight seconds to, to think of, to get your play call communicated out to the quarterback about, about eight seconds. That's it. Uh, all the armchair quarterbacks who sit at home from their couch yelling about, we should do this or we should do that. Get a play sheet <laughs> loaded up with a hundred something plays from, you know, 50 different formations against five or six defensive looks. And now, and now get that call from the play sheet to your quarterback in about eight seconds. Uh, that, that's, what you, that's the reality of what you're working with. So you got to be able to go like, you know, boom, boom, boom. Uh, and I was really discouraged. I, you know, again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I was, I was a little discouraged when I saw that image of Fickner on the sideline because it suggested to me that he was just a little lost, you know. And then in the second half when Roethlisberger kind of took over from the line, everything was more crisp. It, it was just that Ben was really decisive and knew what he wanted to do. So I just wonder if that's the difference right now. You have an OC who just might be out of ideas 
and a quarterback on the field who's seeing everything in live action and, and can make decisions a little bit faster. Do you feel like this is going to be a wake up from a nightmare, Kevin? I was very encouraged by the second half and I, and I'm hoping it, you know, I'm hoping this is the toothpaste that can't go back in the tube, you know, like I'm hoping that, that this is sort of like the light bulb going back on and that, and the, and the revelation that like, wow, man, if we can push the ball down the field, if we can protect the quarterback, it will open everything else up. And we lost sight of that. We were so concerned about getting the ball out of Roethlisberger's hand quickly. And maybe, maybe that's partly him, you know, maybe that's him. Cause he, he took a couple shots against the Colts. He hung in there a little bit longer. He moved out of the pocket a little bit. Those are things we haven't seen him do most of the year. And, and so maybe that's Ben Roethlisberger saying, you know what, man, this is, it's go time. There's no, this is not some mid season game anymore. And I want to make sure I don't get hit because there's bigger football to play. This is the bigger football. So if, if he's willing to stand in there, uh, hold the ball a little bit longer to let things develop down the field and maybe take some shots in the process, then I think that the offense has a chance to, to be great. Like it was earlier in the season. I'm glad you said all that because my hope all along was that, Hey, this is the, the team that played against Cincinnati. This is the team that played against Cleveland in week six and Philadelphia and put up points against Denver and put up points all year long. Then, you know, they hit that wall for a little bit, but it seems like they've taken back the night. And it seems like everybody talking about Ben Roethlisberger, not even able to hit this pass, not able to do this, watch in awe in that second half as he was starting to do those things again. Now, the running game is still the uh, big elephant in the room, but I feel like if Ben Roethlisberger can throw the, the ball down the field more that the running game is going to wake up even more. But I thought that they brought something back very important when they started throwing the ball out of the backfield to James Connor once again. And we haven't seen that in a long time here in the 2020 season. So I'm very encouraged because that was helping moving the chains and opening, opening things up too. how important is the running backs as opposed to the running game. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Um, we had a second and 15 from near midfield down uh, 24, 14 in the third quarter. And uh, you know, second and fifteen. That's it, with, the, with the offensive Steelers have been running lately. It, that's going to be tough to convert. And they went screen to Connor for about ten yards, and then Indy brought the house on third and five. And Roethlisberger just, you know, very uh, deftly like flipped a little swing pass to Connor out of the backfield, and he was able to make the first down. And we went in and scored on the, on that drive. I mean, just to be a, just to have that outlet receiver or that ability to throw to the back you know, which provides a real, a vertical stretch of the, or I'm sorry, a horizontal stretch of the defense, you know, stretching them sideline to sideline. You get those linebackers having to chase the running backs and now you're opening up the middle of the field. That's a huge thing. And uh, I think that uh, the run, as far as the run game goes, I mean, the Steelers didn't really uh, try to run the ball much um, after they got behind, but the best run they had all day was a, a 12 yard run to Connor on a play where they got a four man box. They went to a, a, a spread set and they'd already hit some throws down the field. And Indy was in a uh, like a three, three look and they had three down linemen with, with one linebacker in the middle of the field. And both the other outside backers were outside the box. If you can't make yards against a four 
a four man defensive box in the run game, then there's nothing that you're going to be able to do. But the Steelers only got that look because they've been pushing the ball down the field. So like you said, man, if we can open up the vertical passing game, then everything else will open up. All right. So it seems like you've answered that question the last 10 minutes that I always uh, ask you towards the end of the show. So I'd like you to sum it up in just one or maybe two sentences tops. What do the Steelers ultimately need to do to win against Cleveland, even with a, uh, a lessened roster? Well, uh, I would say this. If, if Roethlisberger was the quarterback, my answer would be protect Roethlisberger so we can throw vertically so we can loosen defenses up. Um, but with Mason Rudolph, I don't know what we're going to get. So that can kind of transition us into our next conversation about, uh, about Cleveland. So, you know, what I think we're going to get with, uh, with Mason Rudolph is a guy that is hungry to throw the ball. And when we've seen him in limited action this year, he hasn't had to. But Jeff and Dave talked about this on the preview the other day, that he really has nothing to lose. You know, he has everything to gain and nothing to lose by airing it out. And if they end up losing this game, it doesn't kill them. But the reason I think this is still a meaningful game for the Steelers, it shows what they can do in the playoffs, and it shows these players how they can get back to basics and start winning again. And I think that's a very important thing. So I'm not as worried about Mason Rudolph. I'm not necessarily saying that they're going to win, but I, I'm expecting to see a Mason Rudolph possibly like we saw in one of his best games of the year last year before he got hurt against the Jets. So I'm hoping that's what we see. And I'm also hoping that you're going to see a huge game from Chase Claypool because it seems like they have a great rapport going on, being uh, locker mates, right, uh, locker neighbors. And uh, you're also going to see some action with James Washington as well. So I'm really excited to see what he can do throwing the ball downfield. Do you think that uh, if they allow him to do that, if they just take the reins off him and say, go Mason, go that he can do it. First of all, I think this is a huge game for Mason Rudolph. I think if Mason Rudolph falls on his face, there's a chance the Steelers may move on from him next year. I don't know if I'm saying cut cutting him, but I think there's a a pretty good chance that they'll look for a a reliable backup quarterback. And that the, uh, the notion that he could be the guy to supplant, Roethlisberger when he's done will will kind of go out the window I'm not saying that's a certainty but I think that he need this is a big time audition for him to show that give being given all the starters reps all week long in practice that he can that he can carry the team so so yeah I think it's I think I'm very interested to see what they do with him now they can't run the same offense with him as they run with Roethlisberger he's just not trained that way he played in an air raid scheme in college. And without getting too technical, basically the air raid reduces a quarterback's reads to half the field. You're, you're predominantly reading half the field as opposed to the full field. Roethlisberger is a full field read quarterback. He's got he, – he might have four or five receivers in a progression and he can throw to every, any one of them on any given play based upon what he sees the defense doing the air raid basically splits the field in half and it gives you reads by coverage. And then it gives you routes that you throw based upon that coverage read. Um, and that's how Rudolph was trained. And we, and one of the things we saw him struggle with last year was holding the ball, holding the ball, holding the ball, because I think that he wasn't used to the full field reads. I think that he had a hard time, you know, trying to see more than half the field at once. So I'll be really interested to see, how the Steelers attack 
the passing game this week? I mean, will you see a lot of coverage beaters, vertical routes, single read stuffs, if then throws, meaning like if, if my read key does this, then I do that. Um, they got to help him, man. They, they have to like put him in position to succeed by calling the game to his strengths. Uh, and I'm curious what that'll look like. I am too. And I can't wait to see. Now let's talk about the Browns real quick. Who is the most important player on that Browns team for them to win this week? Is it Baker Mayfield? Is it Miles Garrett? Or is it Nick Chubb? I think it's Baker Mayfield. When the, in the Browns 10 wins this year, he's got 21 touchdown passes and three interceptions. And in their five losses, he's got four touchdown passes, five interceptions and four lost fumbles. So when he plays well, they, they do well. When he plays poorly, that's how, that's the direction they go. And he was terrible in, in the first game against the Steelers. Um, so, you know, he's going to, he's going to, they're going to go where he takes them. I think. What do you want to see from the Steelers this week? As far as even if they lose, how can they hold their head high with a loss? What do they need to do in one or two sentences? Compete, fly around, play with a ton of energy, play like an excited football team, play like the season's on the line, even though uh, it's been called a meaningless game. So what do you think is going to happen in this game? Prediction time, buddy. I think it's going to be a good game. I think the Steelers will play really hard. Um, but, you know, Cleveland's got too much on the line, man. They can they can qualify for the playoffs for the first time since 2002 with a win at home. And uh, they were, they're coming off a stinker last week at the Jets. And I, I think they'll pull, pull it out in a close game. I, I'm going to look for something along the lines of maybe like 24-17 Cleveland. I'm going to go 23-20 in favor of the Browns. But I still, in my gut, I feel the Steelers do have a chance in this game nonetheless. So I'm really anxious for this game, Kevin. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm excited. That, I love watching games like this, you know, like when the Steelers have – uh, nothing to lose, so to speak, as you say. I like to see how they react in those situations. You really get to see some of the younger guys or some of the guys that don't play as much uh, with an opportunity to step up. And, and uh, I always love evaluating guys like that in those situations. Well, Kevin, thanks for everything. I want you to enjoy this game. And hopefully we are talking about a Steeler victory when we start talking about the playoffs next week, going into that playoff game. So, Kevin, thanks so much, buddy. Yeah, thank you, Brian. All right, for Kevin Smith, my name is Brian Anthony Davis. This is Here We Go. It's the Steelers pregame show. Get ready for game time. Grab that terrible towel and start rooting. Anatomy of an ad subconsciously trigger emotions through music perfect define an opportunity imagine talking to millions of people across the u.s like i am now identify a problem creating an audio ad is time consuming offer a solution utilize cutting edge ai imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds well we did to create this ad to learn more about ai in the audio industry download the white paper from audiostack.ai anatomy of an ad subconsciously trigger emotions through music perfect define an opportunity imagine talking to millions of people across the u.s like i am now identify a problem creating an audio ad is time consuming offer a solution utilize cutting edge ai 
Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.